So tonight, as I said, I'm going to talk about co-meditation, intermeditation, and leading to interbeing, the famous phrase that Thich Nhat Hanh coined 20 years ago, interbeing. That's the basis of my book, Make Me One with Everything, Buddhist Meditations to Awaken from the Illusion of Separateness. As we were practicing, it's already come out, kind of what is co-meditation and so on, but you know, I'm going to review it. But in short, co means with. So co-meditating with, not just with other people, rather than just alone, but with everything, with whatever arises which opens the door to what St. Paul called make every breath a prayer, which opens the door to what Buddhists call everyday dharma or integrating mindful dharma in daily life. Because everything is the object of our meditation. There are no distractions. Because we're with it. Co means with, co-pilot, co-operate, co-exist. We're with it rather than against it, whatever it is in that moment. If there's sounds coming from outside, we're not against it. We notice that tendency to contract, to withdraw, to wish it would go away, and we relax into it. It ain't going away, friends. Anyway, the problem ain't out there, is it? I mean, we're practitioners here. You know, we know where the problem is, if there's a problem. And it's not out there, and it's not them. And it's not your wife or husband or boss or the person in the White House. <coughs> Whatever. Thus in Mahayana Buddhism and Tibetan Buddhism there's a famous mind training or attitude tra- transformation slogan, drive all the blames into one. Which is coming back to the source of who's doing what around here. Who's afflicting whom? Or as one of my friends said, I always hear that phrase, who's one? Drive all the blames into one, that's what he heard. (laughs) Always looking for someone, (laughs) who's one? I'm ready to drive, blame him. One self, or more importantly, ego. One's own illusion or dualism, grasping and clinging, one's own dualism not understanding the interconnected nature of things and that we're not separate. You know, in Buddhism, this all comes under the category of no self, which is in a way the toughest enough to crack, anatta. No separate, independent, permanent self, anatta. But that's just the Eastern way of saying no self. In the Western, it means like oneness or inseparability. When you take the self out of the equation, there's no one for the noise to bother. The bother has stopped, which is the issue. Are you with me? That's what we're talking about here. Being with it, whatever it is, in the moment, outer, inner, phenomena or noumena, mind stuff, rather than against it. And against is just this mudra, but this is also against it, as if I'm separate and I want it. Oh, nice bird song. Oh, when I'm meditating, the sounds are so rich. You know, it's like an automatic door to the store. Whether it opens in or out, it's the same thing. Or whether you push or pull, I want, I, I want not. The two basic Buddhist poisons of desire, attraction, and aversion, anger, aggression. Equally exhausting, based on the dual, the delusion of separateness. So, co-meditation means being with it rather than against it, whatever it is. From the meditator's point of view, in the practice, whatever arises in the body-mind continuum in the present moment, that's the awareness object. Of course, if you're doing a particular focused meditation, like shamatha, concentration meditation, anapanasati, one-pointedness on an object, then you stay with that object of attention, like the breath, and you weed out other things. But if you're more in the panoramic awareness, insight, vipassana, higher vision, panoramic awareness practice, then everything is part of it. Awareness can hold it. 
like the big sky mind in which the weather is no problem. So co-meditation means being with it rather than against it or apart from it or setting yourself apart from it, whatever it is. Or intermeditation, recognizing we are part of it and it's part of us. There's no, there's no noise out there unless we're hearing it. Are you with me? Basic Buddhist psychology. Subject, object, and interaction. Ear consciousness, sounds, and the reactions. So, what I'm talking about here is a way that even people who feel like, and there's a lot of us around, and maybe not here, because this, this is a serious meditation group. I know you're in it, so you don't see it from outside. But this is not the five minutes a day meditation group, the 11 seconds meditation that they have at Google and search inside yourself. Are you with me? Everything's relative. This is not the three-year retreat, but this is not the 11-second meditation either that my friend Meng at Google is teaching. He says, Google executives don't have that long, but they're also quick studies. <laughs> 11 seconds is good. I said, yes, it's, it is. It's a, a lot of moments, mind moments, moments of mindfulness. But being me, being very conservative, I said, but couldn't you make it at least like you know, 30 seconds? This is a little conversation I had with him. Anyway. This is, this is, you know, this is authentic meditation practice. There's many of us who might feel we can't slow down, we can't be silent, we can't sit still for an hour or for a half an hour, you know, whatever we hear about, whatever we read about, whatever the other people seem to be doing that we can't do. That's hard. I don't have time, I can't sit still, I have, I have arthritis, my knee hurts. I, you know, what, what's really the most popular one? That's okay, I'll do all the talking. I'll, I'll <laughs> carry on this conversation myself. I can't stop thinking. No, not I don't have time. That's an important complaint. But I can't stop thinking. Meditation is not about stopping thinking. Have you heard stop thinking tonight? Or even calm your mind? Not much. Aware of thoughts. Mindfulness of thoughts is meditation. Mindfulness of sounds, thoughts, physical sensations, sights, smells, touches, all the six sense objects of the six senses. Anyway, Buddhist psychology is not my subject tonight. What I want to introduce is this, what I've coined co-meditation or intermeditation. Because I don't think this is the time anymore for self-help and self-improvement projects. We've been doing that since the 60s and longer. And we have a very selfish, narcissistic culture, society, and world. You know, it's not just America. I'm not going to pick on you here in the peninsula. That would be easy. But, you know, it's not just here, needless to say. And it's not just Westerners. You know, it's not just Americans. We live in a shrinking, increasingly smaller world, interconnected, interdependent. You can't turn around without bumping into these teachings today. Do you remember when interconnected and all that was like a Buddhist teaching? Has anybody seen the Pope's encyclical about climate change? That's the basis of it. And he's talking about the sacred environment and world, not just the people. Christianity has not talked about that much in 2,000 years. This is the influence of cross-fertilization with the ancient wisdom traditions, including Buddhism. We live in an increasingly interconnected, shrinking world. We have interdependent, interconnected economy and, you know, travels, and we're all sharing the problems of the water and the ozone layer and climate change. Yes? So this is the time to recognize interconnectedness. And also, we have so much loneliness and alienation and fragmentation in our world today. Even here in the first world, even here in the, in the, in the advanced placement, A-plus world here in the Silicon ashram area. <laughs> so much prescription of antidepressants, Ritalin and Adderall, and other things. We could use a little meditation as medication. 
I'm not a Christian scientist. I'm not saying no medication. I'm saying the middle way. So in this increasingly interdependent world, it's not the time, I believe, and this is the th- what I'm talking about in this book, for self-help, self-growth, for trying to get away from it all, which we can't anyway, and just meditating, closing your eyes, going inner, getting away from the children and forgetting about everything, and, which is a fine and important practice. And we need more interiority and silence in our cacophonous over-information age. We do. But that's not all. It could easily become narcissistic and self-oriented. So here I'm teaching, and this is, comes from basic Mahayana Buddhism about thinking of all beings, including oneself and the enlightenment, the betterment, the, you know, the ease and the, of all beings. With the practice of riding the breath coming from the Tibetan tradition, breathing out and breathing in, and not just going inwards, but breathing out into whatever arises, perhaps co-meditating with another person in a dyad, couple, dyad, because it might not be a couple, dyad, two people, dyad, eye-gazing, or that's challenging, or just sitting and breathing together and mingling energy and resonating together, co-meditating together. Or as a group, we're chanting and praying together. Doesn't everybody recognize the increased power of practicing together? That's the theory of co-meditation, intermeditation, synergy. The whole is greater than the parts. Two plus two equals oneness, not just four. One plus one equals oneness, not just two. So with the practice of riding the breath, which I use as a basic, and this comes from Tibetan practice of Tonglen, Lojung, mind training, attitude transformation. I'm not going to go into all that tonight. If you're a Buddhist studier, you, can, you know all that or you can find it. How we can meditate in every part of our life, how everything is an opportunity for co-meditation, not just when it's quiet. <clears throat> yes, it's nice when it's quiet. I like it as much as the next person. But also it's nice when they, they all applaud and I'm feeling like, oh, finally some result from this meditation. <laughs> Accolades, <laughs> approval, validation. <laughs> Just joking. But somebody else might say, you know, oh, I wish, I wish they would stop. I mean, there's also that part of oneself. Why don't they go somewhere else? Why don't they end their meeting different? <laughs> Who the hell am I to think what they, should, what they should do? I don't know what they're doing. It's probably a very beautiful uh, meeting over there, a 12-step meeting that's saving people's lives who are suffering from unbelievable craving. 12-step program is one of the great programs we have for relief of craving. Better than Buddhism for many people in this country. Check it out. I don't really know what they do, but I'm guessing. So co-meditation means being with it rather than against it. And practicing open-hearted, inclusive, breathing out into everything could be another person, could be the sky, could be nature. I'm a water person. I love water. Whenever I see water, I naturally meditate. I co-meditate with them. But I don't close my eyes and go inside and try to concentrate on my breathing and forget about that. I just look at it and, and naturally it meditates me. Are you with me? Now, this is not about me. I'm telling you a story about me as an example for you to be inspired to think about what works for you. What's your natural with? Is it music? Is it extreme exercise where you forget yourself? I'm, I see there's a, a bike fanatic over there. I won't mention names to protect the guilty. <laughs> you know, turning the Dharma wheels all the way to enlightenment. Yes, and forgetting yourself. But aware, finding your true presence. That's the secret. So I'm not falling asleep when, when the waves are, or the waterfall or today the, the bay is meditating in me. You know, I mean, this is just a metaphor. Of course, it's not doing anything. It's doing what it always does. But I'm relaxing into it, not trying to get away from it to be calm and quiet and relaxed. Are you with me? So this is a, a whole different direction. It's like opening out. This is the way to experience the portal to awakening let's say through no self, for example, through non-separation. 
So this is an excellent opportunity for those of us who might think, oh, I can't sit still, I can't stop thinking, um, whatever, to find the sacred moment, the moment of mindfulness, experience oneness in every moment, wherever we are, and integrate the liberating dharma with daily life, not just have a moment's vacation from our thoughts and troubles. Because meditation is not about a vacation. It's about stepping off of the treadmill, of the gerbil wheel. You know, vacation is stepping off of the gerbil wheel, but only for two weeks a year. This is, this is for uh, 52 weeks. It's eternal, which is not a Buddhist word we like. But this is continuous. This is freedom, not just a temporary state of mind like on vacation. So I was reading something in the paper about the great, uh, whatever he is, doctor, let's call him Oliver Sacks, who just died. And he was, one of the last articles he published I think in the New York Times, was about the Sabbath, how we've lost touch with Sabbath. He was brought up Orthodox Jew. So although he didn't believe in those things, Sabbath was a day that was so special in his family for not thinking about worldly things and competition and for being off the grid. And we're so far from that today. But I was thinking, oh, that's exactly nails it. That's retreat, whether it's long or short. And even better, Oh, that's exactly how I feel every morning with my daily practice. It's out of time. It doesn't matter how long it is. It's out of time. Like the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not the seventh day of the week. The Sabbath is timeless time. All the other days are in time and in sequence. And in our ego, striving, and strategy world. So even in this moment, we can have our Sabbath. We can cut through. We can be free through nowness awareness, through co-meditation with the now, being with the now, rather than against the now. Oh, now there's sounds. Himaho, how sweet it is. Holy crap, my ears still work. What a miracle. What's the problem? What's that sound doing to us? Not to mention what we add on to it, because it doesn't stop at the sound, right? Those people, and what's wrong with them? Why don't they do it somewhere else or differently? But then just bring it down to our own relations or our mate or our colleague, but also ourselves. Our feelings, our thoughts, our, you know, the parts we don't like about ourselves, which are legion often. What's wrong with that? that that's part of us. I mean, w- w- co-meditating with anger, cradling it, like a baby having a tantrum. We don't like the tantrum, but we still love the baby. Thich Nhat Hanh talks about this. Not rejecting the anger, suppressing the anger, judging the anger, and then starting to hate and judge ourselves for being angry bastards. That's the problem. The slippery slope of the kalashas perpetuating themselves, digging the rut deeper, self-flagellating, angry bastard, angry again. Oh, fuck me. Did I say that or just think it? (laughs) Rather than, just having another hissy fit, drama king, and breathing out and letting go. And of course it comes again sometimes, letting come and go. This is very important, friends, listen up. Letting go means letting things come and go, letting be, not getting rid of them or suppressing them. And that's radical acceptance. That's the great equanimity that Buddhist Dharma talks about. So that we can co-meditate, really interbeing one with everything, not against it, not apart from it. And this is also the answer to our great loneliness and alienation today. Some people do it by co-meditating with their higher power, God, or whatever you call it. If you're a Buddhist and you don't like that word, I guarantee you, you have some other concept that's not that different that you like to rely on. The goddess, Tara, the teacher, Buddha Dharma Sangha, which is the higher power in Buddhism. The triple gem is our only refuge. If you think it's outside of yourself, you see it gets theistic. 
So we'll be talking about that. You know, Thursday night, that's my topic, the triple gem and especially Sangha as part of this series in Saratoga on Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. Co-meditating with God, co-meditating. Uh, one of the chapters in this book is about co-meditating with our gurus, with higher power, with the Dalai Lama. Has anybody heard how to meditate with the Dalai Lama? This isn't a joke. I'll get back to the joke. People like to go to the Dalai Lama. When the Dalai Lama is in person, it's kind of nice. And then you kind of naturally co-meditate with him, if you get my drift. Resonating together, being on his wavelength, yes? Many people say there were 5,000 people there, but it felt like he was talking to me. Anybody know what I'm talking about with him or somebody? But what about when he's not there in person? What keeps you from doing that with him? That's the question. This is what we call guru yoga in Tibetan Buddhism. With the picture or with the image in your mind, what keeps you from being co-meditating with the Dalai Lama, resonating together, breathing out into him, breathing in and out of him. He's looking at you, you're looking at him. You know, he is looking at you, kid. Hey, hey, Dolly. Hello, Dolly. No, but seriously, if you chant that, you know, you like breathe with him and you... It's as good as the ocean waves if you love your, your archetype, your benef spiritual benefactor, your teacher, your guru, your Buddha, your Tara, your goddess, your, your, your saint, your transcendent archetype, image of something that's so transcendent, but imminent, indwelling in each of us and all of us. So... Each of these chapters, if you're familiar with my book, uh, this is like a workbook. Each chapter has practices like how to co-meditate with another person, how to co-meditate with group, how to co-meditate with nature, with music, with the Dalai Lama or your teachers, how to co-meditate with words of wisdom. You know, the path of enlightenment is not anti-intellectual. We can also use our critical intellect and discernment and questioning and investigation faculties. Of course, that's part even of the seven factors of enlightenment in the basic Buddhist teachings. Investigation and questioning is one of the seven factors of enlightenment, not just mindfulness or meditation. So in the back, I have uh, translated the 59 slogans of Atisha, the great master of a thousand years ago, his attitude-transforming slogans, like always cultivate a positive, upbeat attitude. And then also I have 33 one-liners that I culled out of this book for the purpose of co-meditating with one-liners or words of wisdom, like take one a day or one a week. Like letting go means letting come and go, letting be. I think that's worth reflecting upon. At least I found it useful. Like if you're not here now, you won't be there then. Um, I don't really have to look this up, but um, come up with something I have a thought of. Uh, here's, here's an easy one to understand. Everything is subjective. That's worth thinking about. I'm not saying you have to believe it. I mean, I can pretty much prove it, but I'm not going to bother. We don't have time tonight. It's worth thinking about. So I've called these one-liners out of my book, this book for co-meditating with words of wisdom. We're all good at thinking. We're all, look around the room, over-educated, excuse me, white people of the upper middle path. We need to think about these things. We're not just illiterate yak herders in Tibet or peasants, you know, in a southeastern rice-based economy working in the field who just follow whatever the head people or the priest says. We need to think about these things rationally and use our critical intellect. So co-meditating with words of wisdom, it can be very helpful and help it penetrate our hard and fast character and ideas. Let's just take this one since it popped up. Everything is subjective. Holy crap! That's saying a hell of a lot. That's really the meaning or one of the meanings of the shunyata or emptiness in Buddhism. But that's a big subject. But it's not just Buddhist. 
Anybody remember what Shakespeare said on this subject? The great insider into human nature? Does this sound familiar? Nothing is either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. That's Willie. I'm not saying you have to believe it. I'm just saying this is not some Buddhist belief. Just think about it. So, co-meditating with words of wisdom. I also have a chapter four in here is about Tantra, about sacred sex, about sacred relationships, about how one plus one equals oneness, about how to co-meditate, spirituality for couples and things like that, co-meditating, a co-yoga and things like that together. So I feel like I kind of used up the time now for Dharma talk. There's a lot more I could say. I want to tell uh, the joke that goes with the title of the book, but first I'm going to read the inscription. Now I've explained about what is co-meditation, being with it, not again it, intermeditation, interbeing, oneness, oneing, the practice of oneing, presencing, not just closing our eyes and going inward, but breathing out and releasing into everything, breathing in and out with the universe, resonating together, oneing, attunement, realizing we're in the flow. You don't have to always try to get into the flow or run to somewhere to get into the flow. The flow goes right through us. This is worth looking into, I believe. Not just how can we meditate for half an hour and stop thinking so much? And how we can live in a sacred world where everything is part of this great outlook or pure perception, this divine vision of everything as connected, sacred if you insist, but that, that's even an extra you know, overlay. Workable, harmonious, part of us, if you wish, that sounds a little egotistical, but part of the whole, including us, to part of the whole. So I found this is very relieving of loneliness, alienation, and fragmentation in my own life. And I hope you will find it also. So now to jump to the inscription to the book, which is really the big picture from the Vajra Yogini Tantra, from the secret or esoteric teachings of Tibet, the tantric scripture of the Dakini Vajra, Yogini Tantra. This is translated from the Tibetan. And of course, there's a whole scripture explaining this and what practices to realize it. The whole universe is my body, all beings, my heart and mind. All beings, consciousness, or whatever you want to call it, it's my heart and mind. The whole universe, my body. That's the outlook of co-meditation not just trying to get away from it all and feel better myself, or self-improvement, self-growth, self-development. Have I said self enough yet? Project. (laughs) So, oh, here's an important section. Uh, Because I'm talking about meditating with everything, if you want to use the word meditation. It's really about wanting or connecting, seeing through the illusion of separateness is really what it's about. There's a, pra- there's a, se- uh, a practice called mommitation for parents. Uh, maybe some of you have difficult teenagers at home. So this is how you can mommitate with them. This will explain. I know what you're thinking. He, he obviously never had kids. He has no idea. You don't have to mommitate with them while they're awake. You can go in their room while they're asleep and just sit or stand there and notice their little chests rising and falling and just feel what you feel. You'll see what happens. It's like all the angels are coming in the room sooner or later as the love comes up beyond the momentary, you know, hormone-addled fracas of everyday reality with teenagers and parents. There's also, of course, petitation with your pet, but I'm not going to belabor that. For some people, that's a great way to get there. Nature is one of the great ways. Again, if I'm sitting by the ocean, 
I, I found I was crazy to try to close my eyes and just st concentrate on my breath when the wind, the waves, and the white sound is all doing it for me. The ocean goddess, if you want to personify it as people do. Just the raw experience, it does it for me. So try to find your natural co-meditation, what does it for you, and take support of that to be more awake, present. You notice I haven't said how long, what posture. It's a very formless and yet vivid portal to oneness or to pure being with a capital B. Being plus, we should call it, to the great Tao, to, which I believe is the Dharma itself, the Buddha nature, the Buddhaness that's within and possible in every moment. So is there anybody that, has not, that doesn't know the joke that this is the punchline to make me one with any, everything? <laughs> everybody knows it? Okay, good. So what did the Dalai Lama already say to the hot dog vendor in the Bronx? Make me one with everything. <laughs> if you're a vegetarian, okay, it's a pizza vendor. <laughs> this was in my book, Awakening the Buddha Within the 90s, and it was around the internet, so, you know, it's around. But so I've added a few extra lines. So he hands, a, so the, the, the guy goes into action and starts making him one with everything, the, pizza, the, the hot dog vendor, the pizza vendor. And he puts it together and he eventually hands it over to the llama over the counter. The llama hands over a 20. And then there's a pregnant pause. What's going on? Is it a staring contest? Maybe they're co-meditating together. Is there some misunderstanding? Finally, the llama cracks. He breaks. He, he speaks for it. He says, what? No change? Wait a minute. And the vendor says, in the front row, change, comes from change must come from within. <laughs> I think I should get a gong from... Participate. Well, good luck with that.
So, terror is a feeling and experience, and that's the kind of thing we can co-meditate with. We can feel. We don't have to suppress. We can, you know. I find the news is kind of um, depressing. I mean, I don't really get depressed about it, but it, it is kind of. It's very down, pushing. Yes, they don't report the good news somehow. If it bleeds, it leads. It's an old journalistic slogan. So you have to factor that in and not be a news junkie. Just stay informed to the extent that is appropriate to you. The middle way is Buddha's greatest teaching, appropriateness, balance, not all or nothing. And this, the terrorism, we have our own terrors also. Maybe we're terrified of death or painful death or disease or losing our children or grandchildren. We can co-meditate with that. We have to, and to be with that, and breathe in, into it, breathe out of it, feel it, because feeling is healing. Raw experience is not afflicted by other things. There's no other. There's only disturbance from outside if there's us in here separate from it. Otherwise, it's just pure vibration. There's no eardrums to hear it, and there's no ear consciousness to interact, and there's no judging or evaluating, and then the liking and disliking. You with me? So, terror, fear. Of course, this is a general prescription we're talking about. If you have a serious physical or psychiatric problems, you may need some other interventions. You know, like if you're depressed, it's not enough to say exercise will help lift your mood. You're too depressed to move and exercise. You can't even get out of bed sometimes. Saying in general, exercise is good for the mood is true, but it's not enough for you. So since you asked about terror, I'll just let you think about what your, you know, terrors you have or talk about. If you wake up in the middle of the night, terror, and you can't sleep, or we're just talking about terrified by what's going on in the world, you know, in an ordinary suffering of human nature way, which is sensitivity. You know, it's neurosis, it's not pathology. It's just ordinary neurosis to worry and be unhappy about those things, and that's healthy neurosis. Let's hope that's helpful. Yes, ma'am. Hello? Yes. That's better. Thank you. Can everybody hear her? She's talking about feeling the love for the ISIS terrorists. I don't know. All this is very theoretical. Like I was talking about dealing with the terror and the fear inside, yeah. not guys or people or neighbors. You know, that's like several concentric circles outward and very theoretical. You're free to move away from it. That's another level to discuss of action and strategy. Right now we're talking about changing your consciousness and attitude about grasping and aversion and reactivity. But um, it doesn't mean, you, you know, this doesn't imply in Buddhism there you're not allowed to have a divorce. You see what I'm saying? So, of course, if you find that your neighbor is a terrorist, probably moving away is not the first thing you should do, which might take some time. I mean, you can move your body and your family that minute, but you know, moving house takes some time. But you know, if you see something, say something. That's what you should do. Yes? So if you find that, you know, you're, you're theoretical, but yeah, you should take care of what you have to take care of, obviously, outerly. But let me posit that any change in consciousness, thus this practice of attitude transformation, brings a great equanimity from which you can act much more objectively and clearly and not just impetuously, impulsively, blindly overreact, knee-jerk reaction. Oh, there's a person in a turban. Run away. Tell your children not to go near them. Or, or call, or, or you know, worse. People do worse. They see a turban and they harm them. 
They, they don't even know that a turban is a Sikhs. It's not, you know, radical Islam, ISIS. You with me? So when I become, this is the Buddhist thinking. When I become clearer, everything becomes clearer. And from that, only clearer, discriminating, aware, full, intelligent action will proceed. So if you're not just reactive or, give, you know, blindly giving into your conditioned prejudices, then you have much more space. Mindfulness gives you a little space between the stimulus and the reaction. So you don't just have a knee-jerk reaction, you can have an intentional, conscious response when, where, how much is appropriate, not just knee-jerk reaction. Of course, action is part of it. Even Gandhi, the great advocate of nonviolence, said that you know somebody going amok in the schoolyard should be, um, what do you say, you know, uh, uh, restrained, apprehended with the greatest, fo- you know, immediate force. If you see what I'm saying. So there's a big difference between equanimity, detached, spiritual detachment on one hand, non-attachment on one hand, and complacence or indifference or lassitude on the other hand. It's like the grandparents are more equanimous about the grandchildren, but they still care. But they're less invested in because they've been through it and they're not responsible every day. So... So that kind of detachment can still be very loving, but a little more um, detached, clearer. Yes, young lady. Yes, that's a very common situation. Yes, they do. <laughs> I know such people. Maybe you do too. If it causes them suffering, is it best to not show your I'm not an all-or-nothing guy, so I would have to hear more. But I think <coughs> if, you're, if you're such a sensitive and kind-hearted person and you're clear on all this, then you can you know, not force your beliefs on them by being so obvious. But... How much you know? But hiding or like not coming out of the closet if you're gay or other things has its own cost to you. So you have to find the right time and way or the the middle path. I don't know. Uh, you look like a young. I can hardly see you, but you you know my age. But you look like a young person. So, do you have this situation in your family? You have some. I'm starting to feel like Sherlock Holmes. I just saw Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> but he always did it by logic, but it seems like he's reading somebody's aura. So you have some cons- conservative, probably Christian, you know, parents or whatever, and you, I don't know, you're, a, you're an Eastern thought person or something, whatever you call yourself, yes? Yeah. So could I ask you how old you are? Right, so you, that's beautiful. It's good to have a good early start. So... Um, how are you doing with that? Uh, yeah, that may or may not have anything to do with the religion thing. That's also age and stage. Age and stage. If it wasn't for that, you, would be, you wouldn't care about going to college or getting a you know, life of your own? Going out of the house? No, because it's almost like, um, even like finishing, I'll be 18 before I finish high school. Uh-huh. And so, it's almost like I don't even know what I'm going to last. Yeah. I hope you're talking to people about this besides me for five minutes tonight. <laughs> Are you? Yeah. That's good, please do. So, um, rather than talking about religion, they're supposed to... The adults, the parents, the family are supposed to love the children, and it's not your job to be equally responsible and mature and 
love is you know, on top of things. So you don't, they have to take care of you more than you have to take care of them. So it doesn't mean you have to be flaunting it and hurting them, but you also have to take care of you more than you have to take care of them. Otherwise, you're not going to have a very happy life. You can become very codependent, caretaker, rather than giver. Are you with me? So authenticity is extraordinarily important, but also empathy, feeling their stuff. You know, you don't have to throw it up to them. Like um, what, what I was doing in the 60s when I was in your age, then, you know, I didn't necessarily let my parents, you know, see it or know it all. Maybe I changed my clothes before I didn't get a haircut, but before I came home from somewhere, you know, you know what I'm saying? So maybe you don't have to have your, you know, drums and rattles and like Buddha statue in the window, you know, or you just like have it, you know, by your bed. I don't know. Are we communicating? Good, thank you. But I, I reiterate, this is not just about religion. They have to take care of you more than you have to take care of them. So it doesn't mean you should be cruel and hurt them, but you have to do the best what you can do for you and everyone, but for you. And they're supposed to be more resilient and grown up by now. They had their teens already. <laughs> they're terrible teens. Supposed to. We understand. Not a, age is very relative, and inner age is not the same as outer age. But we're not getting into their problems now. I'm talking to you. Okay? So take care of yourself. What's your name? So I hope you're talking to people and getting some perspectives and, you know, not just trying to decide on your own whether you should drop out of high school or run away or I don't know what people do. They join the Navy or, you know, I don't know see the world and it's 18 sound, you know, it sounds it feels like it's far away but it's going to go fast it's going to go fast you'll see so try to be with that and this kind of practice is good for that too remembering everything is changing and impermanent and our thoughts aren't what they seem to be my thoughts adult thoughts your thoughts teen thoughts teen brain Teen hormones, difficult with parents. I mean, anybody in the room didn't have difficult with parents when you were 16? <laughs> Even if it wasn't about religion? Oh, we see a hand back there. Boy, she must be suffering from delusions. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, one out of uh, 80. So, we're, we're with you, kid. Yes? Totally. Don't run away from here. Thank you. Love you. I just want to lift up all the young ones in my llama's robe, you know, and into the light. I, I don't know. I'm getting tired of just pouring icing over the rut of the baby boomer generation. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, if we were going to get it, we would have gotten it by now. <laughs> <laughs> Questions, please. We're going to end soon. And, yes, in the back there. I don't know if that's... <laughs> I could... I do more, you know, retreats, and I, I have a chance CD out you can get and listen to Chance to Awaken the Buddhist Heart that I did with the Buddhist musician, not Buddhist, with Dr. Stephen Halpern, Dr. Music. Chance to Awaken the Buddhist Heart, it's a CD. I like chanting, and it's an important part of my practice. Questions, please. Did I see a hand over here? Yes. Mm -hmm. And then you talked about co-meditating with, um, with the ocean or with water. Um, I'm, I guess I'm a little confused as to what the distinction is. Because I was, those were in two different paragraphs. Right. They were 
the bird song was contrasted to like, you know, the truck traffic noises that we you know, don't like while we're meditating, but the bird song we like and we start liking too much. It's just another kind of, dis- you know, like, uh, want more, you know. But co-meditating is the idea that of being with it, whatever it is. So if birdsong is for you like what the ocean waves is for me, then that's different than what I was saying about attraction and aversion. It's taking support. It's the tantric principle of using the, fuel, the fire that can burn you as the fuel that can propel you. Like if you have a wound, your wound can be your greatest gift. You could become like a very, you know, like the best counselors for junkies I hear are ex-junkies. You know what I'm saying? So the wound, you know, we can understand those who have a similar wound. So it's counterintuitive, but it's a very, you know, well-known phenomena. So just because it's a distraction at one point because you're reacting to it doesn't mean it always has to be a distraction. If, do you like bird song? I mean, this is getting theoretical. Yeah. So does bird song? You like sounds? You like nature? Yeah. So maybe that does it for you. Do you like being in the outside? Yeah. So how do you like sitting and meditating and you know trying to concentrate? You know what you usually do, which some people might you know, which is important. But I'm just trying to get your talking to you one on one. Like, do you struggle to meditate, or you naturally can listen to the bird song of the breath moving and, and just, you know, really enjoy the nature in, inside? Or not? See, that's nature too. But it doesn't seem to be to many of us. So we like the outer name. Well, so I said, if you're enjoying it too much and you start to fantasize about like, oh, when I meditate, this is what I said, when I'm meditating, it sounds, it sounds so much richer. See, that's just thinking. That's not mindfulness of thoughts anymore. That's not mindfulness of hearing. That's just mentation, thinking, chains of discursive thinking and judging and evaluating. That's, the, that's a distraction. If the bird song is ta- is is taking your you beyond yourself. So there's not you thinking about it and there's just bird song and your heart is dancing or part of it. That, that, that's a little different than thinking about it and wishing it would go on longer. That's just thinking and desire. You see the difference? Well, it is. It's not black or white. That's important. Yeah. Nothing, not black or white. Yes, sir. Is, is there anything that can't or shouldn't be co I don't. That's a tricky question. I, I feel like I should take the fifth on that one. <laughs> you know, I don't know what you're thinking of. You think of like <laughs> genocide, rape, cancer. Cancer should be co-meditated with. I mean, everything could be, but you know. You're saying should. It's getting a little complicated. Well, I, mean, the, the I mean, she was asking if the, your neighbor is a ISIS terrorist. You know, should you co-meditate with him or her? You, maybe you should, you should call somebody and, and go away for a while till those are, they're removed. I don't know. But you co-meditate with the feelings about that so you can decide more clearly what to do. Not just, like, run out screaming. Very tricky. It's, yeah, yeah. It's not true ultimately. That's it's right. Just just well, could. Yeah. But all of this is just thoughts. We're just talking to level thoughts. That's why we emphasize practice so much in this tradition. Not just thoughts or beliefs or the right thoughts or the wrong thoughts. All thoughts are very relative, or I said subjective, or, you know. So let me throw out another Buddhist zinger. We already talked about, and it's one of the things to co-meditate on here in the words of wisdom section. Everything is subjective. Again, I want to emphasize, I'm not saying you have to believe this true. I'm saying think about it if you feel like it. Check it out. Something that isn't subjective. See what you can come up with. The language of thing itself is subjective. 
So the Buddhist saying is, there is no unequivocally good or bad, only the wanted and the unwanted. Cancer is a good example. Who wants cancer? No one. But is it really unequivocally bad? We don't wish disease on anyone, but you know, you know what I'm saying. Is spring good and autumn dying leaves is bad? I mean, that's the you know, is death bad? Death is a part of life. So they say Buddha said, you know, I wasn't there. This doesn't sound like Buddha to me. It sounds like the internet or the New Age. But they say Buddha said, um, life is full of suffering. In, uh, embrace the suffering joyfully. Now, we know Buddha said life is full of suffering. It doesn't really sound like him, embrace the suffering joyfully. That sounds like Marin County. <laughs> but the point is, yes, that's what I'm saying about co-meditation. What's the alternative? The flow is flowing. Resist. resist. The more you resist, the more you suffer. This is not about sin or God or hell. Resist and suffer. I mean, sometimes you have to swim upstream and resist. The French resistance was probably a good thing in World War II. But you see what I'm saying? So come be with it rather than against it. Remember what we're talking about, whatever arises now. I'm not saying we have to be with ISIS and go and join them. Maybe we have to be with our, our, our concerns about them and attentively take care of that situation without resisting our natural goodness and good sense that recognizes this kind of extremism it has nothing to do with religion or humanity or sanity. But we're just using that as an example. I'm sure they have their point of view too. I, don't, not, I doubt I would agree with it, but you know. If I grew up where they did and was in those madrasis getting brainwashed when I was 15, I might be doing that too. Just like people were in the Hitler Youth who later became great leaders of the UN, and I don't know, I can't remember anymore. Maybe one of the popes was doing something naughty he shouldn't have been done, not Hitler Youth. And he became a saintly person. So I have found... And this is about co-meditation. I talk about this, about being able to resonate with people, breathing out and in, and not just the breath of air, but the energy, like radiating and reabsorbing, you know, like sharing space and energy and resonating together. So you're kind of in tune. Like with your kids, you're in tune, and then you know whether they're lying or telling the truth. You feel their pain as if it's yours and so on. And then you naturally move to help or share the burden. So I try to recognize that people, you know, try to see it through their eyes also. If I grew up there and went to those madrasis, they're called those extreme religious schools in those Middle Eastern countries, I'd probably be, you know, spouting this with my, this energy that I have about that cause. I probably would. Maybe you too, just think about it. How would you know anything else based on that propaganda? I mean, we have our American propaganda. There are things that we believe here. You go to other countries, they cannot believe that we take that for granted. If you've traveled, you, you know what I'm talking about. Any burning questions before we end? We're going to have a book signing. I'm teaching Thursday night in Saratoga. Burning questions? Thank you all, and good night. Buddha bless. Keep up your good practice here together. No one can do it alone. It's very important to do this together and take refuge in Sangha and community. Thank you for being here tonight. You're welcome. Uh, I have a smoldering question. Yes? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.